Hi, you're listening to the Classroom and Culture Podcast from Epic Media Partners, where we go deep on all things faith, culture, creativity, tech, and innovation as they relate to education and learning. Please see the show notes for additional info and details discussed in today's podcast. Hey, Monroe here. So today we are going to hear serious wisdom from school leader and ACSI president and CEO, Larry Taylor. This episode covers a wide range of relevant topics from how to embrace technology in schools to fostering and engaging in real life faith conversations with students to insight about school strategies and what's on the horizon in the post-pandemic new reality. Also in this episode, we discuss what Dr. Taylor has learned in his vast experience as head of school, and he shares thoughts on taking the helm at the Association of Christian Schools International, as well as his vision for ACSI as they embrace the future. And a little background on our guest, uh, Dr. Taylor has served for 19 years as the head of school at Prestwood Christian Academy in Plano, Texas. Uh, The Prestonwood Christian Academy school system is comprised of two preschool through high school campuses, a virtual academy, um, a school for students with special learning needs, an inner city academy in one of the most neglected high poverty areas of South Dallas, and a school serving part-time students personalizing their education by combining traditional on-campus classes, homeschool, or online options. And since 2019, Dr. Taylor has been president and CEO of ACSI. Previously, he served for 12 years at the First Academy in Orlando, Florida, as a high school principal and assistant headmaster. Uh, He's also held teaching positions within the public school system. Dr. Taylor co-launched Becoming a Kingdom School Institute, which is a national training institute for schools, and founded the Student Leadership Institute program. He developed a training program for parents called Becoming a Kingdom Family and has published the book entitled Running with the Horses, which helps parents raise children to be servant leaders for Christ and helps to build a family plan. So now, please join us as we welcome Dr. Larry Taylor. I think you might have gotten the pod plan, but uh, Monroe has been a music producer for 30 years and has won a Grammy doing that. And so as our icebreaker, I always hand it off to him and he asks a music question. So we <laughs> ask this of all of our guests. All right. And, uh, I'm ready. We didn't, get a, we didn't get a chance to take bets. We usually take bets on uh, the genre of music that the person likes, but we didn't get a chance to do that today. I, I, think, I think I'm going to throw you guys off. Go good. We love that. Um, I am so privileged uh, and honored to be here, but you can imagine how far out of my comfort zone <laughs> I, I am talking to you guys, but I absolutely love it. And I know I'm going to learn so much today. So here we go. This could be our most important question, right? <laughs> the interview. Um, so, uh, so say when you're not listening to the uh, Classroom and Culture podcast, right? right. Um, or you're not visiting campuses or even putting out fires, what would be your go-to music, band, artist? It could be somebody that you grew up with that influenced you, but what would be your go-to on your playlist that you like to listen to? (laughs) 
I, I, you know, this is going to kind of sound, uh, we might lose members after I answer this uh, question, but, you know, I'm a classic rock guy. Yes. <laughs> and yes, I'm, I'm classic rock and my wife is not, which I'm going to, that's kind of part two of my answer, but, but I'm classic <laughs> rock and pro- <laughs> probably, uh, I tell this, I tell our students this, I have a, our senior class at Prestonwood for the last 20 years. Uh, during a certain event, I, I tell them about my um, kind of a, a routine I used to have on Friday night football, and I would I would listen to um, Leonard Skinner. Oh yeah, and Simple Man. So, so that, that that's part one. Part two would be um, I married uh, the equivalent of Mother Teresa, and uh, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm, I'm genetically I think she has to be connected to Mother Teresa. So. I, you know, I didn't become a Christian until uh, well into high school, and of course, I was listening to, to rock. But I married someone who quickly got me addicted to to the great hymns, and oh, um, yeah. and has passed that on to uh, now all five of our sons and me. So I can quickly transition from uh, Leonard Skinner to Amazing Grace, you know. Uh, so that that's kind of my that's kind of my uh, those are those are on opposite ends, but that's my go-to music. Oh, listen, I think that's a, I think that's a great mix. It's funny, I, I almost feel hypocritical, but so I I you know produced a lot of Christian acts and a lot of uh, uh, praise and worship music. But you would think because of that, I would lean more towards. A, um, I'm trying to be careful with my words. A lot of the more modern praise and worship stuff that we might see in, in church yeah. environments. And it's very powerful and it's very effective. But I will tell you, I was in, my wife pulled me into BSF uh, <laughs> like, you know, 10 years ago. And I, I absolutely loved it. And one of the things that the men do there before, you know, and and Mike, you know this very well, is we'll start everything with a couple of acapella old standard hymns Amen. from the old Amen. school hymnal. And man, that stuff is rich. Wow. It's so good. It is, and I, I tell you, we it's it's. Um, I have such a conviction about that because, as you know, uh, um, most most people in the church today can't even we can't even spell him. We don't know what that word is. Um, right. But at at Prestonwood, we've actually uh, in our elementary uh, choir music, we we have a hymn for the month. And we don't just teach the kids the the lyrics. We actually uh, teach the students the historical perspective. I I love the stories behind the hymns. Um, oh, it is well, right? Oh, I mean, are you oh. kidding? I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's it's just so rich. But uh, well, that so that that's who I mean. And I really like all kinds of music, even the contemporary uh, music. But um, but my heart is for the hymns. We, awesome. And I will say this, and, and Mike, I don't want to hijack uh, your show here, but Larry, <laughs> you come by the Leonard Skinner thing, honestly, because in my research, you, you spent, what, 12 years in Orlando? Um, I did. Hey, they're, 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 a, they're a Florida band, man. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I could, you know, there, there's a side of me that uh, we, we probably shouldn't talk about. When I, <laughs> when I say a side of me, it's not a bad side. It's just... My pre-Christian music selection 
went way beyond Leonard Skinner. Let me tell you that. <laughs> well, not to be too NT right about this, but hey, maybe some of the better stuff will be redeemed when we get to heaven, right? And yeah. we'll get to see that stuff yeah. in the form it was meant to be in. I would, I would love that. I would love that. <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned your students at Prestonwood and the seniors, and one of the things just uh, observing you from afar and Prestonwood from far is uh, the ways that the lengths that you go to to relate to your students and you use uh, social media a great deal and have for a while it seems like can you share your vision of technology and social media as a as a school head and school leader yeah absolutely I you know um, I haven't always been a big um, social media person uh, mainly because I could barely keep up with my emails you know, so I never really have gotten onto the Facebook stuff, and but I did on Twitter, and it started probably at the at the height of Twitter mania when um, a couple of our pastors, Pastor Graham, and a couple of people pulled me aside and said, "Hey, man, this is a great opportunity to really personalize your connection with your uh, with your community, with your students, and with uh, your faculty and parents and." And so I was a little bit reluctant, but I mean, quickly, uh, and I can't remember when I launched it, it was several years ago, but just quickly realized how, you know, especially, I mean, I'm not archaic, but, you know, when you talk about seniors, they, they, they look at headmasters like they were born in 1820. And, um, and so it was just a great way, great conduit for me to build relationships. And I'm, uh, I think the relationships built face-to-face are really complemented by the relationships through social media or, or vice versa. And so, you know, I've, I've utilized it to, uh, I'm probably about 90% of what I use it for is to, to promote student success, uh, to promote, uh, you know, our community success or events uh, to highlight some uh, issues around the world that I want I want our students and our community to know that's on my heart, whether it's um, human trafficking in India. Uh, and so um, I just, uh, yeah, and, 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 uh, and I've had fun with it too. So whenever there's an ice day, snow day here, you know, I do. I mean, I my uh, two things happen during ice days for headmasters. Um, one, the uh, the spiritual life of students never never is stronger than when they're praying for an ice day. And then and then, and then I drive them to Twitter because that's where I try to make the countdown announcements. And so we've had fun. We've had fun. That's great. That's great. So a lot of Christian schools I've found or we found in our dealing with schools are hesitant to embrace technology. And uh, there are a lot of opportunities there. And we're, we're, we're thinking because of the closures now, they're being forced to embrace technology. Can you kind of guide us through what your thoughts and guidance would be for school leaders who are really hesitant about using technology yeah. and the, their students? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think there's a couple a couple reasons. Um, 
One, I think, is the obvious from a, a parent's perspective or uh, in a headmaster's case, just the, the, the trust and the partnership we have with, with parents. is It's that fear. Some school leaders have the fear of uh, opening any type of door uh, that, uh, as we know, some of the vices of the world that, that live on social media and so heads of school um, are, are nervous about about being a link um, with those children that they are steward, being a link to whether it's pornography or, uh, you know, uh, you know, just some crazy stuff that's out there. And I think that um, uh, I, I think that is, you know, I call that honestly, I call that fear based leading. And um, my my encouragement to school leaders and to parents is uh, just like everyday life, uh, there are vices, um, there are traps, there are uh, obstacles. Um, uh, as Paul says in uh, Colossians two six through eight, you know, see to it that that uh, you're not captured by empty deceit or philosophy, but be firmly rooted in the elementary principles of, of God's word. And so there's a, there's a balance there. And if, if, if you're fear-based leading when it comes to technology, just on that subject, because I think it applies to so many other things, then, then you, not only do you um, communicate to your students and in your community, um, that, that 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 one thing could be bigger than our God. Uh, uh, you also you also I think limit what is the beauty and the opportunity of technology. And so our our focus in uh, a lot of I don't and I don't want to talk about me, but a lot of my head of school leadership in this particular area is very similar to um, just my whole f- philosophy of parenting. Uh, you know, for example, you know, the <laughs> talking about the, you know, the the, <laughs> the classic rock, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I grew up in the youth ministry after I became a Christian where, you know, they were burning records and stuff. And, and I don't want to disparage anybody that was part of that era but um you know my 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 philosophy has been with with literature with music is to not focus on the bad but to focus on the pure and so as a parent um to me the best way to deal with uh, pornography for example is to talk a lot and pray a lot and train a lot about what is pure. Uh, what what is music that is pure? What is social media that is that is pure? What is uh, any type of media that is pure? And then, uh, because I think then you're teaching people to focus on the higher mm-hmm. biblical uh, principle and standard. But at the same time, you're actually training them that when they encounter something of the opposite, um, their red flag goes up. 
Um, and I don't think we I don't think we train enough on uh, the the purity of 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 technology. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's that's how we parent. Like for example, when I when I was a parent, sorry for the long answer here, but when I was a parent, I, I, I guess I still am a parent. But uh, you know, I I didn't let Hollywood dictate what movies my kids went to. I, I didn't. I could care less what a movie was rated. Um, and so, but I taught my kids how to uh, justify to me. Uh, why they should be allowed to go see that movie? I could care less what it, I mean. I, I did care if it, what it was real, what it was rated, but it could be rated PG, and and still not be pure, um, right? And so I, I think you know our uh, our uh, philosophy here at Presswood Christian Academy and uh, at our Kingdom School Institute, and I think now with ACSI. Is going to ref, um, is going it's going to reflect that that uh, heads of school I, I encourage to embrace the opportunities uh, the technology presents, um, not let f- the fear of all the other stuff prevent them. Um, one one other short thing uh, I think the again the obvious is if you look at the average age of um, of uh, educators right now, especially school leaders in Christian schools, especially uh, the average age is really that age that uh, you know they're definitely not digital natives. Um, I'm one mm. of them. I'm not a digital native, and so wow. There's a there's a you know there's that uh, that mindset of let's continue to do. Uh, this is how we taught math, or this is how we taught literature, or this is how we taught whatever uh, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, and although I'm a strong believer in the the, the foundational classics of Christian mm-hmm. liberal arts, uh, I think how we, how we uh, deal with uh, just pedagogy and how uh, the whole technology revolution has... Um, really personalized education. I think some some school leaders are not just fearful of, you know, turning the kids loose on the bad stuff, but fearful that they don't necessarily um, understand how it can be integrated to enhance uh, learning and enhance uh, assessment. Uh, so it's a it's to me a tool and uh, and I think those are the two two main reasons. Mm-hmm. I, I when would you bet. Were, oh, go ahead, Monroe. Well, I was just going to say, just in that regard, I would bet that you know the experience we've all just gone through has probably moved that ball forward, right? In terms of the conversations we needed to have around technology and its usefulness, and uh, at least yeah, I would it, hope so. You're out there, so you see. No, you know, it, what the it, landscape it has. Is. I, I got to tell you, uh, we were talking about this a group of uh, heads of school. We were talking about this the other day. The COVID-19 impact uh, has been the the silver lining, so to speak. It has uh, really thrown a grenade on uh, some of the walls uh, that were obstacles to thinking out of the box. And um, I think we're experiencing, uh, well, 
we were already experiencing a rapidly uh, uh, developing and accelerating uh, paradigm shift in technolo technology and education. COVID-19, I think the, the beauty of it, I hate to say it that way, but the silver lining is that I would say the fear of just, does this, does this really work? You know, this being, you know, whatever. Uh, there's so many different uses of technology. That fear has dissipated. And um, I think we're going to see it really uh, surface in a good way and how education is delivered from this point on. A-C-S-I. Four letters that represent an organization with a powerful legacy. The Association of Christian Schools International is the leading international organization responsible for promoting Christian education. For the past 40 years, ACSI has provided training and resources to Christian schools and educators around the world. ACSI exists to strengthen Christian schools and equip Christian educators worldwide as they prepare students academically and inspire them to become devoted followers of Jesus Christ. ACSI advances excellence in Christian schools by enhancing the professional and personal development of Christian educators and providing vital support functions for Christian schools by offering multiple services, including teacher and administrator certification, school accreditation, legal and legislative assistance, and curriculum publishing. They serve more than 25,000 schools in 108 countries and help more than 5.5 million students worldwide connect to Christian education. For more information on the ministry, visit www.acsi.org or follow them on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash ACSIUSA or on Twitter at at ACSIUSA. I think uh, you were a believer in online learning, distance learning early on, and uh, we studied at the school I was at previously your plan at Prestonwood, and you, I'm sure you had some great people working on it, and we interviewed a couple of them as we were looking to start something like that. But can you share the impetus going back? It must be 10 or more years to PCA Plus or PCA Online at Prestonwood. Yeah, yeah, that man. I appreciate you mentioning that. The, uh, I, I think the 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 strategy that launched uh, or, or the, the the process that launched uh, PCA Plus is uh, about once a year, but but uh, but once a year we do what we call horizon scanning, and. Uh, but every about every two or three years, we really drill deep on that. And so about uh, 12 years ago, which would have been, what, 2008, I don't know, something, something like that, we, we, we were in that mode of horizon scanning. And at that point, uh, mainly at the university level, online uh, education was, was really starting to take off. 
Um, and uh, it was it was interesting. Uh, schools that were in the upper tier, uh, like Stanford and all the other schools in that upper tier, they laughed at it. I mean, they were like, never. <laughs> and um, but in our horizon scanning, uh, one of the things we started to see uh, is um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the the McKinsey uh, Consulting. Uh, their three field uh, forecasting, but you know they have field one is now, and then field three is. Is there something out there on the horizon that it, it does not exist at all? And then field two is is that you know what are the emerging markets, so to speak? Mm-hmm. And um, and we just saw uh, an opportunity to kind of test. Uh, some new non-traditional delivery systems, uh, and so we launched PCA Plus, and 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 uh, we now have three. Uh, we're getting ready to uh, unroll uh, or roll out our fourth, but a th- three different delivery systems, and it, a lot of it was based just on our philosophy of, you know, we want to advance Kingdom education to as many kids as possible. And so the virtual academy, the online academy was birthed. Uh, We have students from all over the world. Um, Our homeschool outreach uh, program as part of our PCA Plus uh, was was, uh, birthed. Um, And then kind of our hybrid where some students take part-time courses and then do the rest of their schooling online. Um, and so, yeah, we, you know, and that, and that was part of horizon scanning, but it was actually, it was actually connected to 2005, 2006, when we went through strategic planning and, and we adopted six goals, 20 strategies and about 100 tactic, tactical steps. Wow. And goal number six was, uh, and it was based on to whom much has been given uh, much is required. And goal number six was we just felt like God wanted us to be a part of advancing kingdom education locally, nationally, and around the globe. And so when we launched the PCA Plus, it wasn't like we were just trying to keep up with the Joneses. It was more of you know, a conviction that we wanted uh, more people to receive biblically-based education. And you fast forward now, um, you know, everyone's studying uh, uh, sustainability, and you got the financial issues of how, how to uh, of accessibility of people being able to afford Christian education, and um, you have this massive uh, acceleration of personalized learning. And so, I'm, I'm I'm blessed. I'm glad we launched the PCA Plus. It we didn't miss a beat when COVID-19 hit, uh, you know, not all of our faculty, not everyone's at the same level. Um, sure. But we didn't miss a beat. I mean, it's just kind of, it was kind of already part of our culture. And um, and I, I think we need to continue to do that. Um, I know right now we have, uh, we've already at uh, Prestwood Christian Academy, uh, we have a um, an ongoing committee called the Future Model Task Force and they are in perpetuity, 
they are to study, uh, my charge to them is to study what will, what will middle school look like for our kindergartners? And so what's, right. on the, what's on the horizon? So we're now taking that into ACSI. In fact, this morning um, I had a Zoom conference with our think tank. We, we've pulled uh, uh, about six or seven of our staff members, and we're doing horizon scanning and, uh, and doing the same thing. But, um, you know, again, it's, and it's not um, – it's to, it's not to, again to keep up with the Joneses as much as uh, we want the next generation to experience our mission uh, and the, the biblically based worldview training. And so, in order for that to take place, we we have to look at the um, how how to deliver education that's going to take us into that next generation. Yeah. It seems that the key mission of every Christian school is that delivery of biblical worldview, yet it's the hardest. It is. It's the hardest to quantify. It's the hardest to say, oh, our graduate has this. It's hard, hardest to study, it seems like. What, uh, what have you seen being successful in that at Prestonwood and, and the best ACSI schools? How are schools doing that? Yeah, I, I, think, I think you're right on. Um, I, I think it, it's a, I, I think part of it, you know, when I, when I did my Ph.D., I actually studied uh, the transmission of faith worldview to the next generation. And so not only did I learn a lot, um, I almost had to change my entire dissertation because I did a comp- <laughs> I did a comparison between Christian schools, second semester seniors that were in the same youth group, and the stu- the stu- I compared the students who had received a, a genuine, authentic biblical worldview to the students who had not. And the reason I had to almost change my dissertation is I couldn't find enough Christian schools that qualified who were doing intentional biblical worldview training, which gets back to your point, to your question. Um, you know, it, it is it is extremely difficult. Uh, part of it, I think, is um, like under my leadership uh, at my last school in Orlando, I wasn't the headmaster, I was assistant headmaster, but I didn't fully understand what a biblical worldview was. I didn't understand. I mean, I didn't know what I didn't know. I just thought, you know, if you're a Christian school and you have a great chapel and great Bible class, then, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the kids are learning a Christian worldview. And man, was I wrong. I was, I was so wrong. And so, um, I think, uh, uh, and, I, and when I, when I mentioned my doctorate, I didn't, I don't want to sound negative or judgmental to those schools because I was one of those. I was the same in the same boat. It's difficult, I would say, specifically um, to cut straight to the chase. What what I what I learned, and then um, uh, had to put in practice was one. The there there is legitimately uh, a the development of a biblical worldview, and it's not necessarily biblical literacy, although biblical literacy is extremely important. Um, I, I'm, I'm convinced that we could have the whole Bible memorized, 
but still strike out in the world because we don't know how to bridge truth to the current uh, secular age or whatever the culture. So that whole that whole worldview component is is you have to be really intentional. So just like the Pharisees, right? Oh, great, great example. Um, yeah, and so the first thing just being being intentional, and I think practically speaking, uh, that uh, it takes time and it takes resources. Once once uh, a school leader recognizes that most of their faculty and staff um, have never they they haven't even attended a Christian university, but even if they did, that, that doesn't necessarily mean they have a biblical worldview. Um, I was a science teacher. Um, I was a deacon at my church. I was Mr. Joe Christian, and I was a science. I didn't have a clue about. I thought biblical worldview just meant teach science like everyone else teaches and put a scripture at the end of the lesson plan. And that's uh, that's not what the Apostle Paul meant when he was talking to the Corinthians about taking every thought captive and uh, to really wrestle. One of my one of my favorite passages um, and stories in the Bible of, of dealing with this very subject uh, is in um, uh, Acts chapter uh, nineteen. I think it's nineteen or twenty when. Paul talks about the school of Tyrannus where he took uh, 12 men for two years and took them into the school of Tyrannus. And I wish I'd have been a fly on the wall because, man, they, they just debated the ideas and the philosophy. And to me, that's the, that's the opportunity that we have at a Christian school. Unlike any other ministry, we have kids 8 to 12 hours a day to make sure that we're not just teaching biblical literacy, but that we're teaching, how does this apply to, you know, every idea that you're going to encounter at the university and beyond? And those those 12 men that Paul spent two years with ended up taking the gospel to all of Asia. And so uh, strong believer that, uh, whoever spends one second with a child's mind needs to be needs to have a biblical worldview and needs to know how to uh, integrate that within their discipline. And so, taking every thought captive means when we're, they're in science or history or math or 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 football or theater that all of what our students are being exposed to is filtered through God's Word and the the application part of that. And I think over a period of time, uh, students start to really understand their thinking process, their problem-solving, their critical thinking, just naturally. To me, it's it's the major part of discipleship. But it it just doesn't happen. I don't think it happens by having one event. Um, I mean, we have a Biblical Worldview Institute here. We bring in some of the top thinkers uh, around the country. Um, But I would say, and that's what gets all the attention, the big events. But what really, I think what really is the difference factor is what happens in the classroom day after day after day. 
that's where that worldview is uh, is either caught, taught, um, or not. And so, um, and you have to stay on. You have to you have to inspect it. I mean, uh, you know, I uh, we have a we have a program where we train all all of our teachers. So if you're a new teacher, I don't care if you've been a teacher for 50 years. If you're new at Preston Christian Academy, we have a it's a 13 hour uh, training program for how to break their discipline down into their into uh, how to integrate biblical worldview into their discipline. Now we don't we don't make them take 13 straight hours of training, <laughs> um, but we're very. I mean that costs money, that costs time. Uh, but it's if we don't do that, then I just think they we should probably shut our doors. Um, we're really not an authentic Christian school unless that's one of our goals. Okay, CNC audience, listen up. So maybe you haven't landed on that new remote learning solution. You know, that special platform that was intentionally built for teachers and students to operate within each school's unique culture, keeping everyone up to date and on the same page. You know, the one that will allow you to settle into whatever that new normal may be next year with the assurance that whatever disruptive event may occur, you and your students are prepared. You know, that platform. Well, look no further. Epic has created a learning platform complete with a robust content management system for schools and teachers that's connected to a mobile app to engage students in a way that's relevant to them and makes curriculum content come to life. At Epic, we not only have a platform that you can upload your existing curriculum to, we also offer a wide range of biblical worldview content and curriculum through dynamic and educationally sound lessons that parachute into your students' world and speak their language. Teachers and school leaders don't miss out on the opportunity to supercharge your curriculum or your advisory sessions with Epic. We would love to be your learning solution. To request a demo and discuss how we can partner with you, please contact anyone from our school engagement team at epic2.com. That's epic2.com. You know, and to bring this full circle, um, I heard you say this earlier. I think one of the enemy's biggest weapons is fear. And I think part of what happens in the classroom is when we as parents or faculty are fearful of even having those conversations with our kids, um, yeah. well, then the whole conversation has been shut down. Yeah. So there's you don't have the opportunity to have those conversations like you were just talking about and exploring these different points of view through the lens of our faith and those filters, and it's just—I think fear is a bigger part of this than we realize. That, that is—that is an excellent point. You know, um, I know you're familiar with Dave Kinnaman and Barna. Dave Kinnaman's, um, oh, when was it written? His major research uh, uh, that led to his book on uh, "You Lost Me," <clears throat> and it was a study on millennials, and he—and he, his research. Um, basically communicated that there were six disconnects between us and the millennials. And one of them was um, 
not uh, students not being allowed to doubt. And, uh, and, and, and the, the root of that is what you just, uh, what you just said. I mean, there's a, I mean, you name a worldview, worldview issue, especially with a teenager, and there's a lot of subjects out there that, you know, <laughs> parents and teachers and pastors are scared. To, they don't, first of all, they don't want to talk about it, but second of all, they don't want to, they don't really want to hear the answers. Um, and so you're exactly right. There's this disconnect of letting, um, allowing students to have space and to be vulnerable in doubting anything. And well, that's so hard because, you know, I've always, I've always said uh, discipleship is messy. And uh, man, and look, at, look at Jesus and the rascals that he discipled. I mean, even, even at, at his baccalaureate, you know, on the eve of uh, graduation, he was still washing their feet and teaching them stuff because he, you know these guys were, these guys were a mess, and yet, man, look at what they did! Look what they turned into, and and so and, uh, and while we were yet sinners, <laughs> he knew yeah. he knew where it was all going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yet, while we were yet sinners, exactly. I, you know, um, I mentioned that we do a biblical worldview institute, but we also hired. At one point, we were the only school in America that had a full-time biblical worldview director. Wow. I mean, I, I never understood. I mean, we have an athletic director, a fine arts director, and we have all these directors. But I wanted to have a biblical worldview director, and I hired Dan Panetti. He's incredible. And I said, Dan, here's your job. I want you to study the culture. I want you to stay five to ten years ahead of us and then come back and help us set up how we train our parents, students, and faculty to be prepared um, for, that, for that culture. And, and so what that led is to me almost, almost on an annual basis getting fired because uh, we, <laughs> we started, uh, I mean, when you really commit to that, um, we brought in uh, our first Biblical Worldview Institute, we, we, we brought in the number one atheist in the world. I don't know how they rank atheists, but apparently he was ranked number one. But uh, Christopher Hitchens, I mean, we we had we let our students witness a debate between Hitchens and and of course a Christian. And I mean, last year we 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 hit every Soji issue you can imagine. And so every year I'm borderline getting fired um, because you know those are those are that's what kids are doubting. I mean. And we need uh, we have space in the Christian school, eight to twelve hours a day, to let them think through and process and and I mean think about when when they're doubting and they feel that they can be vulnerable with that doubt, then all of a sudden we have an opportunity to help uh, mold and mentor that piece of clay and uh, and not just say believe it because you know the bible says so but to let them to let them wrestle with it so brilliant you mentioned uh potentially getting fired or and you've had a nice long tenure um what would you say to newer heads of school and newer school leaders as uh, they try to have a long path and 
and take care of the strategic goals in front of them because the it seems like the longevity of a head is is decreasing. Yeah, yeah, you're so right. I think the average uh, tenure right now for heads of school is right at three or four years. And, you know, I think there's um, obviously cases where God moves someone on after three or four years. But, uh, you know, the 12 years I was at First Academy, but the 20 years here at Prestonwood, uh, the first thing I would say to, to younger heads is an, an, unless God clearly calls you off of that, that hill, regardless of the bullets that are flying around you or who's charging at you, stay on the hill unless God calls you off because um, you're going you're gonna to be blessed by the fruit of of that uh, longevity um, I think it uh, you know you, you you coined it well the question the uh, the lo- I think the longevity is enhanced by you know going through bona fide strategic planning uh, and then staying long enough to make sure that that rudder doesn't waver um and uh the stakeholders really uh the primary stakeholders parents and faculty and and students and then of course alumni that they really see a consistent rudder that um uh regardless of what's happening in the world uh this rudder has to, it can't waver. I mean, you, you've got to, you've got to remain committed to it. And, um, I think it takes a organizational culture takes, uh, uh, just, uh, um, James Hunter, the, the renowned, um, sociologist at the university of Virginia, uh, the book he wrote, um, to change the world, he coined a phrase called faithful presence. And in a uh, typical sociology form, uh, he, he studied um, a variety of cultures and, and, he, and you know, he researched it. And, and, and what he discovered was what, what really changes a culture is not some, you know, to put it into our context today, it's not some big wig headmaster that comes in and you know you know dictates and mandates um this that or the other but it's um it's having a faithful presence in that culture uh and and earning uh the trust and the followership uh so that when that rudder is put in place um that ultimately Controls the culture of the organization that uh, that people will people will follow it. So I just just really encourage headmasters to uh, again, unless God is clearly showing them to leave, to hang in there, to stay put, to be a, a faithful, to have a faithful presence, and to earn that followership and trust. There was a, a great article this week in Harvard Business Review about. Uh, managing through a crisis, and it talked about 
the leaders always thought of as the vision caster, right? But when a crisis hits, the vision kind of gets cast aside. Mm. What people really want is somebody who is expert at what's called holding, which is mm. a psychoanalytical term of basically what you're talking about, holding still to the rudder, making sure everybody knows that we're going to keep moving forward through the crisis and stay to our, our principles. Oh, that's great. That was, we'll put that in the show notes, Monroe, I'll get that to you. But yeah. uh, well, that's it was great. a great article about the, the skill set of holding rather than vision casting. Cause when you're in a crisis, like a lot of schools, like our nation is right now, cause we don't know what the yeah. future holds. And really, if we're honest, we don't know that at all anyway, <laughs> at any time, <laughs> yeah. but certainly in yeah. COVID. So. We're just more aware of it right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. My goodness, you've got so far with so many great things, but uh, what are some of the concerns that your schools have now in COVID in looking forward? And what are some of the success stories that you're seeing? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> I think um, the, uh, the the concerns that schools have uh, it really started before COVID and now it's been accelerated. And that is um, sustainability. You know, the uh, schools, colleges, uh, public schools, whatever, you know, the whole the whole business model, I know that sounds unspiritual, but uh, the, the resources it takes to provide schooling, um, but also accessibility is really on the, it's what, keep, it, it's what keeps headmasters up at night. You know, how can, I, how can I pay my teachers a fair wage, but also not outprice students to attend and it's that whole sustainability model um i think the COVID 19 has accelerated that because i think people are um, they were already seeing it before but now they're really seeing that there are multiple ways to deliver education and the market is typical it's going to drive the cost down and so that's Headmasters are really trying to get their arms around their institution in order to advance kingdom education in their community. Um, uh, and, then, and, then, and then the practical concerns is just, um, uh, are we going to be able to maintain our enrollment? Um, you know, there's a financial impact uh, happening right now to everybody, which means... Um, those students, uh, those parents uh, might not be able to afford to, to return to your school. Most uh, headmasters right now are working out forecast of 5 to 10 to 15 percent retention uh, drop, enrollment drop. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that, that, that's concerning. I mean, that's got headmasters yes. up. Um, I also think it's an opportunity. Um, I really do. I think it's an opportunity for schools uh, to do what um, uh, Jim Collins says in uh, one of his books. I can't remember if it was good to great or whatever, uh, but it's an opportunity for schools to maybe not shoot a cannonball, but to shoot a bullet, um, experiment with a delivery that might be cheaper, but still provide quality education 
to meet the needs of their community. Um, it could be a virtual uh, hybrid option. Uh, and I think we're going to see a lot of creativity come out of COVID-19 from, and we're already seeing it. I mean, our schools are just, my lands, the examples, they are just getting so innovative and creative in delivering kingdom education. So I think we're going to see some good stuff come out of this. It's interesting to me. I've got a friend who's an educator that I've known for many years, and um, he always says, you know, education moves in slow motion, and it's always hand-to-hand combat, you know, uh, in terms of change. And But the amazing thing to me is when necessity dictates, look at the capability uh, of teachers to pivot in schools. I mean, it's a, the, the change that has happened right. in the last two months is incredible. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think we're seeing, and uh, I'm not throwing a rock at, at the public school, but I think we're seeing the... The, one of the many benefits of being a smaller, uh, uh, we're seeing a, the, the, the result of being nimble and being able to turn and pivot quickly. Um, I was just reading an article uh, today or yesterday on some of the wealthiest public school districts in the country have yet to even deliver uh, education. And, and again, that that's not a judgment on the leaders. It's, it's just the mere it's a big st- ship. Yeah. It's a big barge. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm, I'm so blessed. I tell you, um, now, now that I'm in the ACSI role, I'm, I'm I get to see it from a totally different uh, picture. I mean, we were talking to, to um, one of our leading schools in Australia and Korea and, um, uh, Germany, and so we're we're getting some best practices from all over the world of how innovative and how people are leading through this this rapid change. Wow! So I want to be respectful of your time and wrap things up. Monroe, did you have other questions? And I've got a couple lead out questions. This is such a great conversation. I want to be respectful of your time too. I would love to, and Mike, this is probably on your agenda. I hope we can get to a little bit, because I know you're going to carry this philosophy into it, a little bit of your vision for um, ACSI. And because I I read your blog and your latest blog, and I really loved it, It, uh, especially you guys' three-point strategy on moving forward. I think it was anchors, initiatives, and retreats, I think. Mm -hmm. And boy, in terms of the initiatives and what you're thinking along the lines of what you guys are going to do there, I was like, okay, our conversation has really been a lot about that. And that intrigues me. Yeah. 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 Real excited about um, uh, the the opportunity to uh, to serve at ACSI. Um, um, I have to admit that my, uh, I mean, everything's going good at Prestonwood and it, wow, it's, it's been tough to transition, but uh, yeah, you know, I've, I, ACSI, uh, ACSI's footprint uh, around the globe will provide an opportunity uh, to truly do everything we've been talking about. I mean, to replicate a lot of the things we've been I've, I've shared today, but do it on a more uh, global footprint. And um, and and one of the things that uh, that we're doing at ACSI, and, and this started before I became president. I was actually on the board. Is uh, <clears throat> really horizon scanning. 
And um, how do we become a more nimble, uh, focused um, association? And it's been it's been a process. Uh, I'm a, we're, we're on the tail end of our strategic planning, and the three pillars uh, that we are just really sensing God's prompt of advancing and access and advocacy and then building the strategic anchors um, underneath those pillars that hold them up. Uh, we've already started acting on that. Advocacy, um, uh, most recently we've made some personnel and resource uh, redeployment um, uh, by sending some of our legal legislative group out of headquarters in Colorado Springs right to the epicenter of where advocacy is most needed, Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of our a lot of our members don't even know. I didn't even know as a headmaster what ACSI provided in Washington D.C. and the fact that we're tracking over two thousand pieces of legislation that could impact uh, our religious liberties or impact um, some form of our autonomy. Um, and so just that one pillar of advocacy as we move more into a uh, post-Christian America, um, it's, it's, it's uh, how do we protect the space that we have right now, the, Christ- the religious liberty space, but also how do we advocate, how do we tell the story? You know, uh, how do we, in a positive, proactive way, um, uh, really engage our community and, you know, the, the stereotypes of Christians and the stereotypes of Christian schools, how do, we, how do we serve our community in a way where we truly are uh, an aroma for Christ? Um, so that's part of that pillar, that whole advocacy. And then um, advancing, you know, we've launched our, um, our thought leadership uh, strategic uh, incubator uh, program, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, what's on the horizon. Um, and that horizon has accelerated uh, because of COVID-19. But, uh, uh, and, and so, and, and I tell you, at the very, at the, at the forefront of everything we're, we're, we do, uh, I was so blessed that this, this was one of the major things that attracted me to ACSI was to make sure that that biblical worldview integration remained the top priority in all of our training of leaders and teachers. And you would assume that, they, that it would be, but, but not necessarily. I mean, that can get lost. Um, so really looking forward. Uh, we have a, a strong team um, at ACSI. Uh, we're, we're right now kind of, as Jim Collins says, we're we're making sure we um, have the right people on the bus and the and the right people in the seats, and and uh, we have we have a lot of work to do to uh, to uh, to build trust and followership and to lead ACSI into that 21st century uh, mindset. But but we're we're going to get there. I'm. With the Lord, we're going to get there. Not with Larry Taylor, but with the Lord. Amen. 
So what's on the horizon? I got two horizon questions. What is down the line that maybe you're just thinking about or just hearing about that school leaders should be investigating? You don't have to give us the the answer to everything, but just what's down the line and, and what book are you reading now to help prepare Ooh, you? Wow. Um, I, I would say what what we what's on the horizon, what we are uh, what we are studying the most and probably investing in the most, and I'm talking both as, as a, like at Presswood Christian Academy, but now especially with ACSI, is uh, digital content. Uh, it, it's it's um, the, the the paradigm shift that's taking place in traditional schools, as well as online schools or every type of delivery of education will always have some form of, of content. And so ACSI is, uh, we, we're really studying and uh, looking at ways of how, how can we best create content or partner with people who create content that, that has authentic biblical worldview so that it can be disseminated and replicated uh, the, in, in an efficient manner, so that's kind of on the that's on the horizon. As compared to uh, the traditional, you know, by, uh, one of our services is our textbook um, and our purposeful design. And so there's, you know, obviously going to be a day when when textbooks, I mean, they they already look different. So how do we how do we make that pivot? Um, and so that's probably uh, the the number one thing that's on that's on the uh, on the horizon. Um, gosh, well, but, man, I'm I'm reading a lot right now. I'm reading uh, most a lot of mostly articles and and things that are um, uh, that are of the future. I, I think the um, where did my oh here it is the uh, the two books that I just finished, well, uh, Restoring All Things by uh, Stone Street and Cole Smith. Unbelievable book. It's called God's Audacious Plan to Change the World Through Everyday People. Uh, great book I'm reading. And then Something Needs to, Ch- Something Needs to Change by David Platt. Uh, man, what a, what a conviction of... <laughs> I was just thinking that when you hear David Platt, you hear conviction. That's <laughs> oh. nothing convicts like David Platt. Yeah, so th- those are those are the uh, the two books that I've um, that I've recently. I'm not finished with uh, Platt's book, but that's almost finished with it. All right. Well, you've been very gracious with your time. We've loved hearing so much about Preston Wood and ACSI and. Um, Anything we can do for you? Oh uh, no, th- just you know, I'm honored to uh, to be with you guys, and thank you for what you do, and keep up the great work, and uh, you know anything that uh, we can do together uh, that would advance the kingdom, I'm all about that. So thank you. Fantastic. Thank you, Dr. Taylor.
Hey, thank you guys. Uh, appreciate the time. Our so pleasure. So good to meet you. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, nice meeting you. Um, go listen to some Leonard Skinner. <laughs> hey, buddy. Sweet home Alabama, right? Here we are. Okay. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye-bye. We'll see you. All right. Thank you. If you thought today's episode was enlightening, please pass the word. The Classroom and Culture Show can be heard on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Also, to become a regular listener and receive additional info, please subscribe on your favorite platform today. That's Classroom and Culture from Epic Media Partners. Thanks. Thanks.